Hey everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and tonight's episode is all interviews of all movies that are coming out this week, um, the month of June, and uh, we are very excited about this episode. I'm really excited for you to hear these uh, interviews. Uh, first uh, will be the legendary actor Stephen McCaddy talking about his uh, film Dreamland that is directed by uh, Bruce McDonald. And that is coming out uh, tomorrow as of this recording. Uh, Dreamland is a very surreal film, very weird film, but really interesting, beautifully done movie. And as always, Stephen McCaddy is just amazing. You can't take your eyes off of him. And this movie also co-stars uh, Juliette Lewis, Henry Rollins. It's an interesting, surreal movie about just, I guess life and death and all things in between. It's a very different kind of movie. Uh, just be prepared for that. And um, you're not really sure what's real. And that's kind of the point um, with the film. It's really beautiful. And as I said, McCaddy is just amazing. I love him so much. And you hear me fangirl out a little bit in this interview because I come on, it's Stephen McCaddy. So I was really excited to talk to him. Um, the other interview uh, is actually a twofer. Um, directors Jonathan Malott and Carrie Murnian, sorry if I butchered your name, um, they are the co-directors of Becky. And you've probably read my review, hopefully on fangirlmag.com for this movie. Uh, it is an insane, crazy trip of a film. Um, again, it's kind of funny that these two movies are coming out the same week and they're also both equally surreal in, um, well, Dreamland's more surreal, but Becky just is, you can't really believe what you're seeing and what's happening. <laughs> So I, I would count that as surreal. Um, but Becky is, of course, the film that stars uh, Lulu uh, Wilson as Becky, the title character. But it also co-stars, and this is the thing that everybody's talking about, a uh, good guy, sweetheart, Paul Blart, mall cop, Kevin James as a neo-Nazi convict covered in tattoos. And he is un apologetically the bad guy in this movie just massively not the nice dude um and uh it's it's a complete out of character role for him and um he sells it he does it and uh also co-starring in this is joel McHale, who is interestingly named jeff i point that out in my review because he doesn't have a last name no one in the in the film has last names but we all know Jeff Winger from Community. Is this, in fact, what happened to Jeff Winger after he um, graduated from Community College? I don't know. I hope not, because, yeah, this isn't a happy movie. Um, Robert Millet is in this as a character named Apex, and he is, of course, just this huge, massive giant of a man and a doll baby, very sweet guy, and he plays a fantastic um, uh, character in this, too. It's It's just... This movie is just, I can't really explain it. You have to just experience Becky. Becky just is not expected in any way, shape, or form what happens in it. It keeps you on the edge of your seat because you're not quite sure where it's going. And by the end of the movie, you, 
you really don't know um, what's happened and if you should be rooting on people. I, it's it's very weird and um, makes you feel odd. It's I guess that's the best description of it. Um, the the way I've been describing it to people who have asked is if you took Home Alone really, really strong cocaine and Rambo and put it in a blender, um, you'd have Becky. That's, that's what this is. Uh, with a little girl. And uh, she's something to contend with. It will make you, it will make you doubt little children. She's not that little. I mean, I think she's like 11 or 12 in the movie, but still. This is like the most bizarre girl power movie you're ever going to watch in your life. So, um, yeah, uh, Becky, go see it. It's actually playing at drive-ins. Um, if you go to fangirlmag.com, um, on my review, I actually list a bunch of the drive-ins um, that will be showing it. I, I would love to see this on a drive-in uh, drive screen because it is a really beautifully shot movie. Um, it's also unapologetically, again, bloody as hell. Um, when it gets going, it gets going and it, it's, it's a horror movie. I mean, it is on a lot of levels. So Becky, go see it. Um, I was really excited for this interview with these guys cause they also are the, the, the guys behind another of my favorite rando weird, um, films of the last couple of years, which was Cooties that co-starred Lee Winnell and uh, Elijah Wood um, and Rain Wilson. And it was, if you haven't seen Cooties, you really need to see Cooties. It's so fun and just messed up. And one thing that these guys have no problem with is getting kids, young kids, bloody as hell they they just love putting kids in in these movies in just extreme situations um yeah so <laughs> if you see a movie casting and these guys are the directors and you have a kid and you want to see the kid just get scarred for life probably this is the crew to go to but um but great movie i love cooties and becky just follows suit it it took me a little bit to warm up to it but um becky ended up being a great flick. So um, I'm really excited for you guys to listen to that. So first up, we'll have Stephen the Caddy. And then um, after that interview, we'll, we'll have Jonathan Malott and Carrie Murnian. And I hope you guys enjoy. Um, check us out at fangirlmag.com. Check out our YouTube channel as well. And uh, if you randomly found this link to this uh, episode, be sure to go to SoundCloud or iTunes in order to subscribe and get some of our back uh, library of episodes because we've got a lot of good stuff, a lot of great guests that we've had on the show. So I think you'll really enjoy it uh, going back and listening uh, to some of our, our other episodes, including Joe Bob Briggs, Greg Nicotero. Um, gosh, we've had a lot of people. Um, way, 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 way back in, in the day we had Norman Reedus. So anyway, go check it out. Check out fangirlmag.com. And also, as always, check out our YouTube channel. Um, we will be updating more content on there. So with, with that, um, let's start our interviews up first, the legendary Stephen McCaddy. And I was so thrilled to talk to this man. He's been in the business for a very long time. And, um, if you didn't know, 
he played a the grown-up version of Rosemary's Baby and in Whatever Happened to Rosemary's Baby, which is a very weird and oddly enough, I think made for TV movie. Um, from there, he's been in lots and lots and lots of things, um, television, film wise, of course, in Pontypool, which I um, absolutely loved. One of the neatest takes on the zombie genre you're going to find. Um, but of course, he was also in Watchmen as the original Night Owl. And uh, just has been in an amazing, uh, amazing library of stuff. Uh, so I am really stoked for you to hear this. He was a fantastic interview. He's so sweet. And um, yeah, and then stay tuned for our interview with the directors of Becky right after. And again, thank you guys for listening. I hope you're staying safe and um, spread the word, not the virus, as I always say. So with that, let's go to our interview segments and I will see you on our next episode. Hey, Jessica. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic, sir. And I have to tell you, I have been a fan of yours for such a long time that this is a big, big thrill for me to get to talk to you finally. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. You're just one of the, uh, you, you literally are one of my favorite actors. And anytime I see you in a project, I, it, it elevates it, and I'm just thrilled to talk to you, sir. Wow. Wow. Um, you're welcome. Um, so my first question for you uh, about uh, Dreamland, if, I mean, how was this project delivered to you? Because it it's almost hard to describe it. How, how did they bring it to you, and how did they describe it to you? Uh, well, it, it all came out of the... Uh, a little movie I did with Robert Boudreau about the, it was called The Death of Chet Baker, mm -hmm. where he had kind of reimagined, you know, Chet Baker wound up uh, dead on the sidewalk outside his, um, I don't know, six-floor hotel room in, where was it, uh, Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, you know, he sort of posited three different scenarios, you know, suicide, someone pushed him, or he fell asleep and fell out. Um, so we did that, and I showed it to Bruce, and Bruce was intrigued, and he said, we should try and do something with this. So we got together. We had a guy from Blackberry called Joseph Cheng, who Bruce had hooked up with. Um, and um, so it was the four of us, Lisa and Tony, the writer, and Bruce, the director. And Joseph, you know, just as a kind of fascinated bystander, and he had put a little money up. So we started working on the script, and it kind of went like that. Fantastic. So um, one thing that I, I really liked about this, uh, but I wanted to get it from the actor's perspective, was the story yeah. and outcome of this film leaves a lot to the mind of the viewer. Does that sort of a script make it difficult for you as an actor? Or do you, do you film it under what you think the outcome is and what is, in your own opinion, the reality of what's happening? Because it, it does leave a lot to your imagination. 
Yeah, it does. The, the audience has to put a little work into it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, I'm sorry. What <laughs> you were asking me, is it uh, uh, more difficult without a linear plot? Correct. Like with this kind of a script, it kind of leaves a lot to the imagination of the viewer. So as an actor, does that help yeah. you or does it hinder you? Um, it really doesn't make a difference, you know, because so much depends on uh, how it's put together, you know, what's juxtaposed with what, um, as far as connections and meaning go. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just working with a great Palestinian director, Sumani, and, you know, I was talking to him and... They were bugging him to uh, do publicity in the middle of uh, filming his movie. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I have to keep telling them, I don't know if I have a movie until I start cutting it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. So, um, so, so... Did you, kind of piggybacking on that, did you create, in your head, there are, I know a lot of uh, of actors will create a history for their own character. Did you create one in your own head to keep, keep it kind of, uh, you know, what would keep you in, your, in the headspace for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I used to write them down and, you know... <laughs> But I, I don't do that anymore. You know, I just kind of uh, try and, you know, we, we were working on the script for, I don't know, three, five years. So it was kind of, I was always kind of playing around with it in my, my head. Um, so going into it, I was pretty much prepared um, for anything that might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it evolves that way, it's a different experience than when you're just presented with a script and you kind of have to find your way into it, you know, as to how do things relate, you know, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times you uh, miss connections, you know, that the writer and the director have in mind and you have to you know, kind of hash it out with them, but we'd already done all that work. Um, um, yeah. Gotcha. So one thing that I find interesting, and right now a lot of people I think are in this kind of same place as I am, and it's an interesting time for a film like this to come out where it's a questioning of our mortality. Um, and yeah. you, you, you know, you yourself, you've played in, you've played death before himself can you talk about as an artist and, a, and an actor how important it is to where we can find solace in movies like this uh dreamland or any other works that you've done where you know it kind of makes us more calm in terms of our mortality yeah yeah well you know a lot of People, you know, are talking about, 
you know, our culture being a denial of death, you know, um, you know, especially with all the, you know, you always read articles every week about extending life and maybe we can live forever and um, you become your own little god. Uh, <laughs> but in the middle of this, uh, whatever we're in the middle of, it kind of um, shatters that. And, you know, I know people are hanging on, convinced that we'll get some vaccine. You know, the warp speed yeah. um, that will you know, give us a little insurance plan. But that's something that's never been done before, and most same people think it's a joke. Um, you know, in life, you have to, uh, you know, my mom always used to say, you pays your money and you takes your chances. <laughs> um, there, there is nothing to guarantee your safety in any situation. Can't be done. That's what makes it exciting. Exactly. So that's kind of my response. Exactly. Exactly. It kind of was um, because I think a lot of people can use a movie like Dreamland and films where death isn't so much a stranger to help help them get through, you know, the fear right now. And dealing with yeah. what's going on, I yeah. think it helps. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other night, and I was, you know, I think, you know, like I, I grew up right after World War II, you know, in the sticks in Nova Scotia, and I, I can remember hearing every week, you know, a replay FDR saying. We have nothing to fear but fear itself, you know. Um, and now we're in the middle of a, you know, mass panic. Everybody's yeah. so afraid. It's sad. Um, yeah. Yeah, you have to face face up to those things. Yeah, and I, I, think, I, I think movies can help us do that in... Because it's more real when you see people dealing with it on a screen, in a way, to us. Yeah, yeah, it gives you that remove unless you get into that, well, dream world of movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about, as I said, I'm a huge fan of your work, and I've been watching you for years, and just you, you always. You're, you're just one of those legends to me. Um, you, you've played in a number. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I, you go for years doing, you know, a whole bunch of stuff, and you don't know if anybody sees it, you know, or actually looks at it, you know? 
Uh, you know, I have the impression that a lot of people take movies as just fast food, you know, and it's not. Oh, it isn't. And your your work specifically, as I said, I've I've been watching you for years, and I I recognize your face, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good because Steven's in it, and and I'm like, I'm caddy every day I see you. It, I think it has a lot to do with I watched a lot of Canadian television as well growing up because even in the state, even though I was in the states, and I was able to find you yeah. in all these on all these shows. And uh, truly, you you are one of the best actors, and um, I was very excited again to say I, to talk to you. So, and part of that is, um, you you've been in a lot of genre films and television series, and that's a lot of where I've seen you. Um, yeah. And you know, with comic book, sci-fi, and horror films, they're um, they're com- they're becoming so big over the years, um, and especially yeah. now. Um, yeah. Do you think, you know, as an actor, you've been in all of these different genres? Do you think it's finally finally getting the recognition they deserve? Because as you said, you 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 do a lot of work, but you don't know if people are are seeing it or you know, ex- you know, uh, enjoying it as as what the, how much they should and appreciating it. Do you think you're fi- that that those genres are finally getting their due now? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's become a huge thing. Who the funk? You know, <laughs> it used to be the horror movies were kind of like you know there were A and B and then there were E movies. They were way down the list of acceptable entertainment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and now it seems like everybody wants to uh, get in on the act. So, sir, I, I think I'm going to end this with probably the, the, the most usual question, but also one I'm very curious about because I've, yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of your work and even as early as last night, I found a new, a new one that I hadn't seen you in, which was an episode of The Twilight Zone um, uh, from, oh, yeah. the, from the 1980s, which I was, oh my gosh, it was so, so amazingly good. What, what would you think, what do you think is your favorite role that you have done in your career? The one that really stands with you and sticks with you? Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, I know it's a horrible um, question. <laughs> forced to say potty pool, uh, just because it had, you know, again, it was very similar to Dreamland. It was, you know, the four of us working on it. And, uh, you know, at that time, we didn't know, we didn't have much money. We didn't know if anybody would ever see it uh, or if we could complete it. And, uh it was just really exciting um, trying to make it good. Um, so it really sticks in my head. Uh, you know, you know, I'm very fond of that experience. Um, and it, uh, you know, it was a big deal for me. Um, and it was a big deal for Lisa and Tony and Bruce, you know. So we all had a lot invested in it, but not a clue as to how we were going to get it out, you know? Uh-huh. 
so it was exciting, very exciting. It was a fantastic film too. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it, and it was very unique in the in the genre that it came in. So uh, thank you for yeah. that. And uh, Stephen, just thank you, just thank you for all the work you've done. I mean, you, it is amazing stuff, and it continues to to entertain and make me happy, and a lot of your other fans as well. So uh, again, thank you so much, sir. Well, thank you. You make life worth living. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Jonathan and Carrie. Um, So can I hear each of you speak so I know which one I'm hearing? (laughs) Yeah, hi, this is um, John. Perfect. Hi, this is Carrie talking right now. Perfect. Thank you guys so much. So I, I know I don't have you for very long, but I am... I am just blown away by this movie and I'm still kind of coming to terms with Becky. <laughs> so, mm, that's, that's a good, we like that. We like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so I have a lot of questions <laughs> and I've been trying to describe it to people. And the, the description that I've come up with is if you took home alone, cocaine and Rambo and put it in a blender, <laughs> you would you'd come up with Becky. <laughs> that's way better than our description. That's awesome. Oh, my God. That's the best thing ever. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Yeah. That's good. Okay. I like it. Rambo, Rambo. yeah. <laughs> Let's trademark that. Let's put it on the poster. There yeah, you, there's that's a quote. A, that's a quote we need for the... There's your quote. I, I, you have my permission to, to use that for sure. Yeah. So now, our elevator pitch has been you know, like an ultra violent home alone with a 13 year old girl. But now that just now, if I ever say our old one, it's just going to seem lame. So I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to do the cocaine and Rambo <laughs> one. I, you got it. It's yours. Uh, okay. So, okay. <laughs> uh, Becky, so okay. First of all, I, it took me it took me a little bit to get into the film because of how you started it, and I get why you did that, which was it was very distinct study of contrasts and um, you know and visuals. First of all, at the beginning, it seemed like there was almost a lost quality to Becky, which you know eventually you find out why, and it seemed like it was the worldview of a child. You know, you were giving that and, and with the with the character herself, what was did you create more of a history for her prior to the loss of her mother? Um, or was there, uh, you know, was there any type of juvenile delinquency in her history where they may have put her on some sort of uh, medication or something? Because it was almost so surreal how she was looking at everything. How what what made you choose that sort of style for her at the beginning? Oh, that's an interesting um, observation. Yeah, I, I think it was interesting how the writing, um, when we were writing and developing her character, um, and then when we shot it, there was a lot of things that, um, it's weird because, you know, you can write it a certain way and think it's going to play out, and then as you're filming it and, and seeing how the actors bring to the performance and how it all culminates in, in the editing, um, it, I think it's, it was, it was, a, it was a, I wouldn't say a challenge, but it was, you know, just part of the process in terms of making sure that she didn't come across as just like a jerk the whole time. Um, because 
the way we always thought of Becky was that she was um, a typical 13-year-old, you know, teenager who, and we think, you know, I have kids that, I have a kid that just turned 13, and they're rebellious to a certain extent, and um, we wanted to show her rebellious nature um, on top of the fact that she's dealing with a lot of, um, you know, tough things. Um, so I think what we had to do was just make sure that it, it was kind of clear that she was rebellious, but also that she had a heart that she she did love her mother and she was a um, she you know, she is something that someone that you could empathize with, and I think that that was something that we wanted to make sure came across in that opening um, third of the movie. But what we also wanted to do across the whole movie was really get you in her mind. We wanted this movie to be clearly from her point of view, um, clearly from the point of view of a 13-year-old girl, which almost to the extent that it was an unreliable narrator, that it's almost like, can you trust anything you see? Um, to the, to the, we almost did this in the writing of it. We, did, we almost made it that, you know, at the end, she's, you know, it's like a voiceover during the whole movie. And she's, um, you know, she was telling the whole story. So at the end, you'll be like, wait, did that really happen that way? Um, but we didn't go that far. And I think it, it's better for it. But um, just to give you a sense of how we approach the filming and building of that character. Gotcha. And so kind of along, kind of along that path, <clears throat> There was a very distinct study in contrast at the beginning, especially, you know, with Dominic as opposed to Becky and what they were going through. And, you know, also within the, the framework of the film where you have like this beautiful area where you film just gorgeous visuals. But then you have that just really brutal darkness that comes into play after everything starts going down. Like um, how how did you want to frame this? Like, was that what you were going for to show kind of like the contrast there? And also I kind of took it to be representative of Becky because you've got this beautiful young 14, 13 year old girl, but inside of her and the, you know, hidden away in it is this dark nature. Definitely. I mean, that that's really, um, it's exciting to hear somebody, um, take that out of the filming because a lot of times we do all these things as filmmakers that, um, we struggle to do and make sure that they happen in the way that we want them to. Um, and they kind of, you know, it, it, in a way it just washes over a lot of viewers and, you know, hopefully it informs the way they perceive the film. But um, that's exactly what we did. We, we very clearly um, differentiated the way we filmed Becky compared to Dominic. Um, uh, whereas, you know, we tried to make, just for an example, we made some of the filming of Becky at the beginning more chaotic and handheld, whereas the shots of the adults and Dominic at the beginning were more steady and deliberate. And, you know, the, as the film progresses, the, the line gets blurred, but it's a very clear um, kind of dark mirror of Becky and Dominic. Uh, you know, there even comes a point in the movie where they're, um, you know, looking at each other as, as, a, as a mirror uh, of each other. You know, is this the adult version of her? Is she just going down the road to become like him because of um, of her actions and because of the the adults that she's um, uh, witnessing and 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 learning from? Um, so I think, yeah, very much across the board, we played with palette, we played with light and dark, 
um, you know, reds and blues, um, the contrasting of those uh, to to create this this conflict and create this world that was very much uh, um, you know butting up against itself and 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 fighting. So that, it's really cool to hear that you you, you took that out of it because yeah, we worked really hard at that. Well, and also I I got a really big vibe with it of the fact that the anger of children just unleashed and unrestrained and what can happen like that rage against everything. And you just don't have a tether on her anymore. This is what, what she's just unleashed, you know? And I really, man, Lulu just was vicious. And I really was when that all starts, I was, I was like, Oh my God, I remember interviewing this little girl for Annabelle creation, like a few years ago. (laughs) Look at her now. (laughs) Look at her now. But I mean, could you talk about um, directing her and creating those scenes where she just loses her ever loving mind? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I think there were so many scenes in this film that were written and you just think, Oh my God, how is this? This could be bad. <laughs> You're like, you know, there's, a, a, there's many scenes where she's, where she, you know, it's like written and she screams and you're like, Oh God, that, you know, like, okay, we're going to, you know, let's, let's write down a bunch of notes. We're, we're going to have to really push the actress to get there. Um, you know, this, this could really come across as just cheesy and bad. And the way we like to work a lot of the times is, you know, we work out the scenes with the actors, um, but we don't give them, too much specific direction because we like to see what they're going to bring to it and then we can help shape them. So a lot of times with her on set, we would let her, you know, try something first. And um, yeah, for example, uh, some of the scenes where she would scream, it would just be like, you know, the yell cut and there would be silence (laughs) across the set because people would be in shock at how much, how much power and how much visceral kind of angst and, energy was coming out of this yell and then she would be giggling uh, two seconds later so it was um you know she's just just amazing that's fantastic so um this is in regards to casting this and first off i love the fact that you kept jill McHale's name jeff because I just kept thinking the entire time about community <laughs> which was hilarious um maybe and yeah exactly i kept thinking what's his last name um but uh, I want to talk to you because I'm sure you've been asked to death about Kevin James being in this. Um, I wanted to find out about the casting choices that you made with it. And also, um, as an aside, sneaking in there, um, I know originally Simon Pegg was attached to the role. How would that differed from what Kevin James did with it? Because this whole thing was impressive. The eyeball thing grossed me the hell out. Can you talk about casting this and mm-hmm. that? what that difference would have been if, if Simon had taken the role, because very much physically different. Oh my God. Yes. Um, I think different, but I think the idea was that we had two really charming kind of likable guys. Um, it's, it's the way we wanted to approach that role. We wanted someone that could get dark, um, but who could be like, um, like Hans Landa and glorious bastards where it's not like, um, typically scary he comes in and he's charming um at the beginning of inglorious factors he's just this charming guy um and then as he kind of goes through the scene you realize that uh, he doesn't have to yell he can just kind of 
um, lull you into the sense of pure terror, um, <laughs> which is what we were hoping from that role. And so, you know, when we were initially talking to Simon Pegg, um, you know, we liked that idea that, you know, Simon Pegg is kind of this likable guy. Um, and then um, when he wasn't able to do it and we started talking to Kevin, um, it, it was that same thing. We we're like, oh, my God, you know, you can't not help but love Kevin James. He's such a great guy. Um, so for him to um, be able to come in and, and then start saying things that are all about hate and all about hurting people um, was a, like a contrast that we were really striving for. And I think um, Kevin James really um, exceeded all of our expectations and took it to another, another place. It was really, really well done, and and props to, uh, to 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 the Jeff Winger. I I I loved it. It was so Joe McHale typically plays a complete jerk face, and he did such a good job being the dad. And you, I, so good good on you guys. You, a yeah. fantastic movie. Also, cooties to this day. I love you for making that and putting Lee Winnell as a creepy, <laughs> wonderful science teacher <laughs> that is probably a serial killer on the side. So. Thank you guys so much for making this. This was a great film. And uh, thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Have a good time. Thanks. Bye-bye.